Morning. Good looking crowd this morning. Nice to see you all. Um, last week, I talked through the reasons uh, uh, being a good friend is so challenging. Um, if you didn't get have a chance to hear that uh, sermon, um, I encourage you to, you know, as preachers always say, go back and take a listen. Um, it's on our podcast or YouTube, because really these two sermons, um, they go together. Um, today... Um, so we did. So last week we did the deeper soul work of of, of asking ourselves why are we such bad friends, um, and I think that was necessary before we go on to what we're going to talk about today, which is how to be a good friend. Anybody interested in being a good friend? I'm interested in being a good friend. I'm calling this two part series, which is kind of adjacent and complementary to the Sankofa series, but this two part mini series you might call a limited series. Um, the spiritual discipline of friendship, because even though this is woven into the other disciplines that we've been talking about, you know, prayer and fasting and so on, friendship is also something that we practice, and it's when we see the fruit of our spiritual disciplines come to life. They come to life through our friendships. So these spiritual disciplines are designed to put our sinful nature to death, you know, all of our passions and desires that yield bad fruit so that we can abide in Christ and become more like him, including in our friendships. The point that Pastor Chris has been making throughout the Sankofa series is that these spiritual disciplines don't just happen. You know, we don't just hear a sermon once and then we're just great at fasting and great at prayer, right? These disciplines must be drilled into us through habit and through discipline. And the, 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 the discipline of friendship is no different. Um, so last week, I shared that one of the main hindrances of friendship can be our glory hunger, uh, meaning that we're constantly in search for affirmation in all the wrong places, and recognizing this glory hunger is the first step to gaining freedom by recognizing that God's love for us is ultimately what we're looking for. So we must be full of God's love before we can go out and dish out good things to our friends. So let's take that with us today because where I'm going to take us today is much more practical, but let's not let go of this idea that we are hungry for affirmation and we need God's love to fill that place in our soul. When a father teaches their child how to ride a bike, you know, at first the father's going to hold the handlebars for a while while they're pedaling, 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 but then at a certain point the father's going to say, all right, honey, I'm going to let go, start pedaling, right? And similarly, with these spiritual disciplines, at a certain point, there's a sense in which God the Father is letting go and saying, okay, child, you can do this. If you and I don't start peddling in our disciplines, if we just hide away inwardly and we just say, I don't know, I think I need to read a few more books on how to love people. I think I just need a little bit more understanding of what this really means biblically. Or I'm going to pursue godliness some other way. The truth of the matter is, is you and I will not grow because the very essence of Jesus' message and the purpose of you and I's lives is to love each other. And what's interesting is that you and I can live our life, our faith inwardly, if we just live our life inwardly and we don't get ourselves out there and practice the discipline of friendship, we can actually fool ourselves into thinking we're a lot more loving than we actually are. Because when you actually try this, you realize, oh, this is a lot harder than I realized. When we commit to loving as Jesus loved, 
We come to terms with how difficult it is, and that's a good place to be if our desire is to live a life yielding good fruit. And yet, again, this is what we covered last week. When we humble ourselves, when we empty ourselves, that's when he fills us with his spirit and transforms our very nature, and it's there where we find greater and greater freedom to live a life like Jesus. I have several verses that I'm going to share today, and they're kind of all throughout this sermon, but I'm going to read the main passage now and then pray for us before we get into it. John chapter 15, 12 through 17. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I invite your spirit to come. Speak to our hearts and help us to be better friends. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a book that I read recently by David Brooks called How to Know a Person. Wonderful book. And there's a chapter that I found particularly helpful when articulating how any relationship would go from acquaintance to a deeper connection. He talks about four different qualities. Patience, playfulness, other-centeredness, and presence. And so I'm going to borrow those headings here and reference script where Scripture supports those, those points. And then I'm going to elaborate on some principles that I often teach through my work at Do For One with examples that will bring these ideas to life. Okay? So first, patience. In order to establish a relationship. So how to be a good friend. That's what we're talking about. In order to establish a relationship, there's simply no way around it. You've got to spend time with people. And it might help you today to just, if you can just think of one person. Who's somebody I want to kind of rekindle a friendship with as I go along here? This takes patience. And remember, when spending time with someone, it doesn't have to be monumental things. It can be, hey, let's grab coffee. Let's get lunch after church. Or, oh, you're going to the 36th Avenue stop too? Hey, let's walk together, right? It doesn't have to be these huge things. Simple. When getting to know someone, it's important to realize that you're, get, you're not getting to know them on your timetable. You're actually getting to know them on their timetable. And what I mean by that is that there are many reasons that other people take more time to open up and reciprocate in relationships. And we must be prepared to be patient with others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Remember last week I was sharing how to various degrees we've all experienced woundedness in our lives. Some of us have experienced rejection in our lives from bad experiences in our friendships. So when it comes to pursuing new friendships and we approach others, we can come to anticipate that maybe it'll take a while for them to to trust me, to open up to me. So remember to be bearing with one another in love and in patience. Getting to know someone and Feeling out how it can go is 
kind of a vulnerable thing, right? Because sometimes it's a little awkward. Sometimes you put yourself out there and the person doesn't necessarily reciprocate or, you know, uh, uh, may not put themselves out there as much as you might have hoped. Um, this takes risks. It takes trial and error. Um, and it certainly takes us being willing to be patient with one another and spend time with each other. Uh, some of you might know our friend Judy. Judy is a dear friend of Allie and I's and Angela's. Uh, she lives on Roosevelt Island. Uh, she comes to church pretty regularly, and she usually sits right here. Um, and we actually don't know exactly why this is, but she doesn't talk much. Part of it could be her mental disability. Part of it could be that we know that she had some bad experiences growing up. Her family didn't get the kind of support that they needed. But what we've learned over the years of knowing Judy is that we don't need to know the medical reasons behind her soft and shy spirit because what we've learned is that the more patient you are and the gentler you are and the more time you spend with her and the more you are okay and comfortable with being with her and having no words exchanged, the more she'll open up and talk to you. After a while, there's just a deep knowing and trust. What Judy teaches all of us in all of our friendships is Ephesians 4, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Here's another example, and I'm going to use fake names and change some details here for privacy's sake. Um, there's another person who came to us through Do For One who has severe anxiety and clinical depression, and he's also on the spectrum of autism. He lives in a single-parent household, and I'll call him Thomas. Due to his complexities, combination of disabilities, Thomas actually doesn't leave his house. And one of his goals in the next, you know, 10, 20 years is to live on his own one day, to go to school, eventually find a job, gain some friends, maybe get married, and on and on and on. You know, these typical progressions of life. But he's starting with the simple goal of leaving the house more often. That's his goal. So we paired him as a way of helping him with this. We paired him with an advocate through Do For One. I'll call him Daniel. Daniel and, and Thomas connect virtually once a week, and Thomas cancels even these virtual appointments about 50% of the time, if not more. And we think it might be just like this anxiety and OCD and, oh, man, this, this, this little thing just wasn't just right. I'm so sorry. I can't meet today. So Daniel has been incredibly patient with Thomas. But at one point, Daniel reached out to me and he said, I'm kind of at a loss here. I'm not sure really where this is going. You know, he wants to move out one day and all these things, but we can't even get a virtual appointment. So I offered him a perspective. And I want to share with you a few of my notes that I, I sent to him via email. And I've edited these to make it private and to make it more general so we can all apply, apply it to ourselves because I think it helps us uh, kind of uh, 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 be really tangible about what it looks like to be patient with one another, to be bearing in love. Okay, so number one, what, do you, what kind of advice do you give to Daniel, right? Just keep meeting up with him and trust that he'll open up with you more and more. Very simple, right? You have a friend who's a little difficult and you're not sure what to do? Just keep spending time with them. 
Number two, listen deeply in order to understand what are his real challenges. Why is it hard for him to get outside and see people? But as you're searching for these questions, be gentle while testing out what he might be willing to open up to you about, right? Being gentle, bearing with one another in love. Number three, learn to be content with little to no visible outcome or growth. And know that just being there is a good thing. That's how to be a good friend. Just be there. Number four, offer less advice and ask more questions and create space for listening. Say, tell me more about that. Say, that's interesting. Why do you think that's hard for you? Say, that sounds important to you. Could you tell me more about that? And finally, five, encourage Thomas to be proactive on his own. For example, in between meeting up, suggest he does something like, hey, why don't you watch this movie and then next week we'll talk about it. Now, it's been three years since Daniel and Thomas have been meeting up regularly. And more or less, the relationship is kind of where it's been. But slowly but surely, you see some breakthrough. Um, At one point recently, um, uh, we all met in person with uh, uh, Daniel and I met with Thomas, and when we got together, we didn't realize this until, until uh, Thomas sh- shared this with us, but he actually hadn't left his home and gone to the city on his own since before the pandemic. And so we took time to celebrate that huge milestone. You see how it's different for everybody, right? The, the kinds of accomplishments, the kinds of things that we can celebrate The amount of patience that's required for different people requires different things. Now, these examples might seem extreme or unrelatable for a lot of you, but that's kind of my point, because in order to meet anyone where they're at, we must be patient and enter their world a little bit in order to build trust with them. Do you see how patience is called for in friendship and what a gift that can be for people? Do you also see how challenging that can be to all of us? You see how it's a discipline? You see how transformative this discipline can be? There are two studies that have been done recently. um, And the study was trying to find how many hours it would take to make a good friend. And so they, they studied college students from freshman year, and they studied people who moved to a new town. And they estimate that it takes between 40 to 60 hours hanging out with somebody before they can be a, become a friend. Patience. Time spent. Second quality, playfulness. C.S. Lewis says this, Friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the others do not share and which, till that moment, each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. Have you ever had that experience with somebody? If we entertain this definition of friendship, then that would mean friendships are discovered rather than made. So oftentimes, related to playfulness, we need something to do or to look at besides the person when discovering friendship. For example, most of my good friends growing up were other musicians. And we would show up at rehearsal spaces not to, like, look at each other in the eye and say, hey, let's be friends with each other. We got into the rehearsal space to make music and then 
friendship was discovered. We had countless experiences of, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. You see that? My best friend, both now and since, uh, since childhood, uh, discovered early on that we share the same sense of humor, which is a wonderful way of a deep connection for someone. You know, I was like, what? You think that's funny too? I'm also fortunate to have that type of relationship with my wife. When we were dating, one of the moments where I was like, oh, I'm really into this girl, is when we would watch Saturday Night Live sketches and we would often laugh at the same ones. And we would laugh at the same moments. If you have those experiences, those are discovery of friendship. You can also see how this requires spending time with people, right? Friends can be involved in some kind of mission together. It could be as simple as, hey, remember when we were on the same basketball team at retreat? Or it could be something a little more serious, like, hey, remember when we went on that short-term missions trip overseas? And there we form a bond. The point is that we're looking at something outside of the relationship itself and towards something else, and friendships are discovered. Sometimes deep conversations and deep bonds are formed when you're not trying to have them, you know? You walk up to somebody and say, hey, let's have a deep conversation. How's that going to go? Likely not very well. But if you go for a walk together from here to the 36th Avenue subway, you never know. Something might just come up, right, when you take the pressure off of the moment. Third quality, other-centeredness. David Brooks illustrates this quality of others-centeredness by describing the nature of a musical accompanist. So let's say a pianist providing support to a singer, right? We are to exist around others to compliment them, not to draw attention back to ourselves. When you're playing music with somebody, right, like in a wor- the worship team, let's say, and you notice that someone's struggling to kind of find the right note or find the right part, it would be really rude to go over and play their instrument for them, right? Or to grab the mic and sing for them. But what you might do is make subtle gestures with your instrument, or you might accent a few notes on the keyboard in such a way to help bring the person back on key. That's the way to be others-centered. So when you're with someone, you also ought to look for ways to be a great accompanist, helping them be at their best. And you can do this through questions you ask them, or you can bring up topics that you know that they love and that they are good at talking about, or you can choose activities where you know this person like really shines and where they're the most comfortable, and you can encourage them along the way. In conversations, you might choose not to finish a sentence because you know that what you are saying could actually be said much better by the friend that you're sitting with. You see these subtle things, how we can be good accompanists as opposed to constantly thinking about how we can shine? Watch some of the best, most grounded leaders. You'll see this quality in them. Watch some of the best parents. You'll see this quality in them. And friends should also practice the discipline of others-centeredness. Proverbs 18, verse 13 says, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Here's what I teach to our voluntary advocates at Do For One about the importance of listening. So listening is kind of still under that heading of others-centeredness, right? The word spoken, when we're listening, we're listening for the words that are spoken. We're listening for the words held back, and we're listening for the words that are held in the depth of the heart. 
the word spoken. Person you're listening to, you're listening for the actual words that they're saying. Very obvious. Are you able to follow a person right through when they're trying to explain their situation or their problem? The reason why it's important to highlight something so concrete and seemingly obvious is that it's easy to get distracted in our own thinking as we're listening to someone else. So we must exert 100% of our time and attention towards what the person is saying. One of the struggles here is that it's so common that when people are talking, we're trying to think of what we need to say in response. And then we think of something really brilliant to say, and we can't wait to say it. And so we look for any moment where there's silence and we're, we're ready to jump in, right? So we're barely listening. We're just listening to our own thoughts. Like, oh, this is going to be good. I can't wait till they stop talking. And then when we get our moment to shine, we hope that they prove to be good listeners, don't we? Right? So you see how it can actually be hard to follow someone all the way through when they're speaking. This is why it can be helpful to quiet our minds and exert our focus on them so that we can truly hear and take in what's being said to us. There are several folks that do for one what we work with who have speech impairments, or it's just simply difficult to understand when they talk. And so this is something that I suggest to voluntary advocates, which again, can be applied to all of us. Never pretend to understand when you don't. Instead, repeat what you have understood or trying to understand, and then allow the person to clarify or verify, like, yeah, that's what I mean, or no, that's not what I mean. So asking questions in any conversations, like, oh, is this what you mean? Or, oh, so what you're saying is, is like, let me just make sure I have this right. Is this what you're saying? A lot of times we might hold back from saying that because we feel like it's an annoyance or a hindrance, but actually people appreciate that because it shows that we really want to catch every detail. So do you see how this can be applied to all of our conversations, right? The words held back. When people talk with us, it's not unusual for them to tell half of their story and refrain from divulging the other half. And we can be discerning of that, but we also must be soft and patient towards other and not coerce more out of them if they're not prepared to share it. Instead of making demands for them to open up, just simply ask more questions not just to clarify what was said, like I just talked about, but also ask more questions that might spark curiosity or insight. Tell me more about that. That sounds really important to you. Could you, I'd love to hear your story. Why did that become important to you? You see what I mean? Ask, ask open-ended questions, allow them to open up. To be a better listener, you are more likely, the, the, uh, the, the better a listener you are, the more likely the person being listened to will feel safe with you and open up with you more. So the things that they're holding back over time, you'll, you'll, no, you'll start to notice that the person might start to open up to you more and more. Whereas if you're insensitive or if you're constantly trying to like, kind of wind up the best like, little wisdom nugget that you've got in your brain, the less likely that person is to open up to you. And you might start to notice that dynamic in your friendships. You know? the, the better listener you are, the better question asking you, asker you are, the more likely you'll have a, a deeper bond with that person. So finally, the words that that we hold back in the depths of our hearts. When anyone opens their mouth, his or her spirit also speaks. There are words expressed with other gestures coming from deep down within our being. I know that's a little abstract, but I think you might know what I mean. It's like what Judy teaches us, right? It's okay to be silent. 
It's okay to allow conversations to be a little awkward sometimes because we just don't know what to say. Just let it be quiet. It's okay. Allowing time and space to connect and relate emotionally, it might bring out a gesture or a word or the conversation might go in a surprising direction that it was meant to go. But if we're too busy filling in the space because we're so afraid of having an awkward experience, then we might miss some of those words held back and those words in the depths of our hearts. So finally, so we've talked about patience, playfulness, other-centeredness. Finally, presence. Proverbs 3, verse 3 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Here's another story for you that highlights the importance of presence. Lewis was a Queens native, and at the time I introduced him to Ralph, through do for one. He, at, the, at the time, uh, Lewis was a, an overnight cargo handler at the airport at LaGuardia. Through do for one, he formed an unlikely friendship with Ralph. Ralph had spent most of his life going from institutions to shelters, sometimes uh, jail, uh, uh, because, of lack, uh, because of poverty, lack of family support, and some severe mental disorders. Um, initially, Ralph's reluctance to engage with Lewis uh, left Lewis feeling kind of reluctant about the relationship and, uh, 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 you know, kind of similar to Daniel, like, what's the point or what am I really accomplishing here? But Lewis persisted. Lewis kept meeting up and eventually discovered that playing, of all things, dominoes provided a comfortable space for connection. So you hear this intense story of Ralph, right? And then the point of connection is just playing dominoes together. You see how playfulness is coming in handy here, right? Something to do that's outside of the relationship, outside of the intensity of Ralph's story. Ralph had a deep desire to live in a to, to live to leave, excuse me, to leave the mental health facility that he was living in and uh, find his own place to live. And Lewis tried to figure out how he might be able to help Ralph get out of this facility and find a place where he could live on his own. Lewis advocated on Ralph's behalf, talking to the social worker, doing all sorts of research, and all of it came to naught. But in this experience, this is when Lewis realized that meaningful relationship and showing up consistently is the most valuable support that one can provide. Over time, their friendship blossomed, teaching Lewis the profound impact of presence. Lewis wished he could change Ralph's circumstances, make a larger impact, but when he would ask Ralph, hey, is there anything I can do for you? You know what Ralph said? He said, nah, man, I just need visits. Lewis's mantra became, it's your presence that counts. your presence that counts. Be there. You might want to help people change the circumstances. You might not know how. Don't let that intimidate you from being there. Show up to weddings. Show up to birthday parties. Show up to hospitals. That's how to be a good friend. Be there. You might not even know how to be a good friend, but be there. It's your presence that counts. So 
This begins to conclude this mini-series that's kind of complementary to the Sankofa series. Before I close, what I want to say, I feel like this is important to say, is that I understand that we all have limited time, and we all have limited energy, and we all have limited resources. And I said this last week, and I'll say it again. We can only afford to be really good friends like this to a handful of people, right? Social media fools us into thinking we can manage 5,000 friends. Can you imagine? Patience, playfulness, other-centeredness, and presence with 5,000 people. You can't do it. So we must redefine the definition of friendship and remember what it actually means. There are many more lessons here worth discovering, like boundaries and like identifying who are those close friends. That might be some things that you want to do to reflect. And I wish we had more time to explore those things. But for now, let me just acknowledge that in order to practice these qualities in our relationships, we have to limit ourselves to just a few people. At least at first, and you might find that you build a capacity for more over time. If friendships are discovered with, you two, I thought I was the only one. Then when we see ourselves in another person, it's more likely that we will be motivated to do good for them and be more responsive to them. And the more others see themselves in us, the more likely they are to be good to us. But so far, much of what I shared, although biblical, and although I think it's sound, practical advice, which is important, I've still not yet touched on the kind of friendship Jesus is really talking about yet. What do you think I mean by that? See, I have plenty of friends who remind me of myself. I have plenty of friends where I say, you too? I thought I was the only one. But in more superficial ways. Shared music loves, shared sense of humor, and so on. But I'm afraid that the kind of friendship that Jesus describes goes much deeper than that. So you thought this was challenging, right? (laughs) Now we're going deeper, but there's hope to be found when we go deeper, not less hope. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 46, he says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And then he says, a doozy, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Oh my goodness. (laughs) You see, I said in friendships, we can only be really good friends to a few people. But here we seem to be saying that actually we can't be good friends at all because nobody can be perfect. This should be frightening and freeing both in the same breath. Frightening because in our determination to be good and do good, it's frightening, right? Nobody can be perfect. We can't live up to this standard. It's impossible. But freeing to our souls because now we know that what's required of us is not so much to be good and do good, but to humble ourselves and seek God's mercy. We need his mercy In our journey toward being good friends, God have mercy. We can't be perfect. 
musicians can come forward as I begin to close. You see, when we have to, when we, when we come to terms with what the gospel is, we have to embrace the discomfort of conviction in order to understand the hope that we find in the grace of Jesus. His mercy is available to you and me. The first step and the last step to being friends like Jesus is to first realize that in his mercy, he calls you friend. He says in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You see, Jesus didn't have to relate to us. He's the son of God. He's the holy and anointed one. He's the one with every privilege known on heaven and earth. And he did not have to enter our world to relate to us. He's different from us because he's perfect. He's holy. He's been around since the beginning. He not only understands the universe and all its mysteries, but he created the universe and all its mysteries. So we're not even close to being like him. And yet, we are. That's a paradox. How do we understand that? How is he so different and yet so the same? In his great love and interest in us, he wanted to call us friends. And so he chose us. And he knew that he's coming from a very different place. And so Jesus laid down his life. He lowered his social position. He walked through sorrow and loneliness and rejection. He became human so that he could identify with us. He came in the flesh. He experienced life as we experience it so that now we can look at him and say, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. For those of you who feel the wounds of rejection, Jesus has been wounded for you. The road to being a friend like Jesus is to first learn to be a friend with Jesus. To learn to say, what, Jesus? You too? I thought I was the only one. Do you have a relationship with Jesus like that today? Jesus wants you to think of him when you notice something that you think he would notice, like a good friend would. Like, hey, did you check that out? He wants to have a friendship with you like that. He wants to laugh at something that you laugh at. He wants to cry with you the things that you cry at. He wants to waste time with you and play. He wants to enjoy you. And then from there, we can take the responsibility of pursuing friendship with others. You see how that's the only way? When Jesus says, be perfect for as your heavenly father is perfect, well, that's an impossible standard. Therefore, we seek his mercy. And then we're filled with Christ-like love to go out and love others the way that Jesus is calling us to love others. Yes, practice patience, practice playfulness, practice other-centeredness and presence. But in doing that, you'll realize where you fall short and you'll begin to discover God's mercy and left and right and left and right, and it'll transform you. Friendship may not be the most popular forms of love, but yet Jesus calls us friends. So if you're able, can we stand to begin our response? pray for us and Aaron and Angela are going to lead us in a song that I think is appropriate for the heart of the matter, the, the essence of this series.
which is to say, fill me so that I can love others, those around me as you called me to love. Dear Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. We recognize these practical things that we can do to be better to one another, but we also recognize how weak and frail we really are in doing so, because selfishness will continue to crop up. It just will. And so in order to be transformed, in order to be friends as you've called us to be, we must experience your friendship first. And to remember that you chose us. We did not choose you. And we want to thank you, and we want to rejoice in you that you have chosen us and you have called us friends. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before they start singing, uh, really quick, there's the prayer team is in the back. If you want to receive prayer, anything in the message stirred for you or anything that Pastor Denise shared.